Lord, you are holy. God, sometimes we fail, fail to recognize that and we fail to pursue that. But God, uh, through your Spirit, make us holy and help us to desire that. God, we thank you that we can sing these songs to, to you and boldly come before you and seek you as our Father without shame because of Christ. God, open our, uh, open our hearts and our ears and our eyes so that maybe we, we can receive from you today. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And uh, no, it's not June 30th, 2013. It is, in fact, April something, 2014, April 13th. Um, we'll be um, looking at the, as a, kind of a point of reference, um, Luke 19, the... Uh, being uh, the beginning of Holy Week, as the church has understood it through the ages. Um, really, the historically, this week, not, not Christmas, of course, the Incarnation, you know, there's no Easter without the Incarnation, but, but the church is, you know, this is um, the beginning of uh, this period of where we come to uh, Easter as kind of the central, uh, in terms of the liturgical calendar, uh, it's kind of the high holy days. Um, and just pray again for a moment. Father, um, Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. And Father, we need your son to be in our midst. We need him to take um, that which is utterly inadequate and multiply it and feed your people. And so we ask for that grace in Jesus' name. Amen. I thought that um, it would be worthwhile kind of reminding ourselves about uh, kind of the broader context of uh, uh, this passage. Uh, we're going to actually pick it up in verse 36, not even at the beginning of, of Luke's account of what's called the triumphal entry. But I'm just going to kind of tell the story a little bit from John, um, John chapters 10 through 12, which... Uh, in some ways, will give a little bit of a backstory to this event. Um, Jesus had just been in Jerusalem not really that long before this account, before the triumphal entry. He had been there, I don't know if it was a, a week, two, maybe two weeks, but it was quite 
you know, in terms of not that many days, he had been there before. And John 10, you know, you have this account of, um, you know, I'm the good shepherd and this, this, uh, this interaction that he was having in the temple between himself and uh, his disciples were there, but also his opponents were there listening. And uh, you recall in John 10, he gets to this place where he says, I and the Father are one. And everybody's, all his opponents, they're reaching for stones to kill him. And from the disciples' perspective, because, you know, if somebody's throwing stones at Jesus, there's just a chance that you might kind of get kind of caught in the, in the hail. From the disciples' perspective, they got out of there by the skin of their teeth. Not from God's perspective, but from the disciples' perspective, and they went down across the Jordan, and I can you can just imagine the disciples as they're going away from the city. I mean, they're sweating bullets because you know I have not been, and probably nobody in this room has been, kind of in the center of a group of people with nothing but homicidal intent towards us. I mean, that, uh, you know, now there are Christians around the world today that are experiencing that, but we haven't. And, and that's what they're, the disciples, that's all they could see is hatred and rage and murderous intent on this group of people. So they're walking away down the Jericho Road, and the more miles they can get between themselves and Jerusalem, they're okay with that. They get across the Jordan River, and it's like, whoa. That was close. It was by the skin of our teeth that we, that we got out of there. Then word comes from Mary and Martha that Lazarus, uh, their brother, and whom Jesus loved, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, is critically ill. And, um, you know, you can just imagine, you know, the disciples thinking, that's a shame. You know, <laughs> but, but you know, Bethany's just four miles outside of Jerusalem. You know, and and uh, and Jesus said, you know, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. And the disciples are going, yeah, that's the way. Okay, we don't, we're, we're here. Four days later, Jesus said, well, we're going to go uh, visit our friend Lazarus. You know, and he's asleep, and we need to wake him up. And and if when you read in, in this is in John eleven. They said, Lord, they were just trying to stone you, and we're going to go back there? And basically, yes, <laughs> we are. And, and when, when you read it, you know, as they're talking among themselves, I mean, they said, well, I guess we'll go back and die with them. Which tells you a lot about the hearts of the disciples. I mean, they, they, their heart was to die with Jesus, but it was one of those, the flesh is willing, or the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, you know. So we, we don't want to mistake the fact that that was their heart, okay? If Jesus, if you're going back to die, we'll go back to die. And that's really, when they started out, that's what they were expecting, because this, all these hateful, angry faces with stones in their hands, they were seared into their consciousness, and I just can't believe we're going back right now to, to, to that close to Jerusalem. They go and, um, you know the story, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And this was, um, Jesus had raised other people from the dead. Um, and we don't know how many he'd raised from the dead. But, you know, the, the ones that we know of, you know, Jairus' daughter, she was probably still warm. 
Um, the widow of Nain, it was the same day, that, you know, in the Middle East, they bury them the same day that they die. I mean, they don't have, you know, mortuaries with refrigerated, you know, I mean, it's like... Uh, so Jesus did, didn't just raise the dead with Lazarus, he raised a rotting corpse. I mean, they knew the smell of death in the Middle East. They're, you know, they weren't cut off from death like we are. It was around them. Remember, you know, there were crucified people hanging around, you know, with the Romans there. I mean, they, death was something that was very much a part of their world. He wasn't just dead. He was rotting. And this man comes out wrapped in grave clothes. And that made a different kind of impression. I mean, word spread like wildfire to Jerusalem um, that this had taken place. And, uh, you know, you think, you know, when you read the account, the, the council, uh, the ruling council of, of the Jews, uh, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, the high priest, they're, rather than saying, ooh, maybe we ought to talk to this guy. That's not, that wasn't the impact that the miracle had. They said, oh, how do we kill this guy? They plotted all the more. Um, so, but remember, the Passover was one of those festivals that Jews came from all over to celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem. And so the city was filled with, with multitudes. So Jesus comes and he gets the, you know, the uh, donkey's colt there in, uh, uh, just outside of Beth, Bethany, and they're coming up to Jerusalem. And word spreads that Jesus is coming, and the multitudes, and this is in John, they surge out of Jerusalem to meet him. You know, this one that raised, we want to see him. And Lazarus was with him. They wanted to see Lazarus, this one that was four days dead and raised to life. And they're out with the palm branches. And, and uh, so they meet Jesus. The disciples are coming up from Bethany, and the crowds that were there at Lazarus' you know, resurrection. And, and so this, this, these two multitudes kind of meet and converge. And there's garments in the road, and there's palm branches. They're shouting and praises to God, rejoicing. And so we'll pick that up in verse 36. And he was going. They were spreading their coats on the road. As soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen, shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if they become silent, the stones will cry out. When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known in this day, even you... The things which make for peace. But now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side. And they will level you to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Uh, 
I, you know, in your mind's eye, you know, God's given you an imagination and he's recorded this scene. You know, to try to see this to some extent in your mind's eye, it's a very strange picture. Um, you've got the the multitude, you know, just rejoicing. And, you know, Luke tells us, uh, actually, in, a little earlier in uh, the chapter, um, Verse 11, he was near Jerusalem, and they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. I think that this, you know, after the raising of Lazarus, rather than being in fear, the disciples were saying, the kingdom of God, it's here, it's coming. I don't know, Peter, James, and John, I, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, they were with Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration. I wouldn't be surprised if they thought that as Jesus was walking into the city, he would begin to radiate like they saw him on the Mount and that people would fall on their faces, you know, as they strode, in, as he strode into the city, you know, that they're thinking, you know, and so I think fear left them and they were just, you know, this is it. This is it. It's coming. So you have the multitude, at least the disciples, the multitudes, they're just, you know, as multitudes are, you know, they, you kind of get into the spirit of things, you know, you know. Um, so you have the multitudes rejoicing. You've got the representatives of the Pharisees grumbling and criticizing and complaining and probably in their minds kind of gathering evidence against him, you know, allowing this blasphemy to go on. You know, you silence your disciples. What they're saying is, is, is blasphemous. It's not, they shouldn't be talking like that about you. Um, and, and then you have Jesus sitting there weeping. Isn't that kind of a strange? <laughs> Rejoicing. Kind of a homicidal criticism. And then the weeping, the weeping of the Son of God. Um, uh, in some ways, Jerusalem at that point, he wept over Jerusalem. I, uh, um, it was uh, the city of David. The temple was there. The priesthood. You know, millennia of... I mean, it was the covenant, the place of the covenant, um, where, where the, it, you know, God chose to bless His name, and it, in a sense, it shows what, what a true and revealed religion can become in the hands of fallen men. That this Jerusalem had become the world. It wasn't the sinners and tax collectors that were the opponents of Jesus. It was the religious establishment. It was those that were in control of. The religion of God. And we all know that how true religion can get turned and become something that it's not and become opposed that which for which God gave it. And Jesus wept over it. He wasn't weeping for himself. He wasn't weeping in anger. He wasn't saying, you're going to get yours. I can see it, you know. He said, you know, and this mystery of, of, you know, if you'd known. Actually, his lament for Jerusalem started a few days earlier. Um, in, uh, it's recorded in, in Luke 13, and you're familiar with it. Where, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stone those who sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together just as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not have it. 
Behold, your house is left to you desolate. And I say to you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now the multitudes of disciples were saying that, but Jerusalem and what that represented at that moment was not saying that. That was not the, the high priest was not saying about Jesus, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So hold that picture in your mind of the rejoicing multitudes, the weeping Son of God in particular. Don't put a movie star Jesus in that picture, please. <laughs> he had no form or comeliness that we should be drawn to him. You know, it doesn't mean he was homely. It just means that, that wasn't, there was nothing physical about him that was, was attractive. It was, it was internal. He was just kind of an average Jew that just could blend into a crowd and disappear. There was nothing... Um, but but just see him and see see the situation. Now, I want to pause at this point and um, step back and think about our thinking about this picture. You know, as we go into this holy week and as we think about the events leading up to the cross and to the resurrection, I think it's it's worth just taking a moment to think about how we think about these things. And I've been pondering for some months now the um, similarity between Scripture and, and words and language and starlight. Um, and Phil, you can put that. Uh, um, so um, this is, I just thought, you know, I got something to, I'll have something to point to. Um, this is the Constellation Orion. How many have seen the Constellation Orion? You, know, you would recognize it. This is a very prominent, if you go out, kind of look pretty much to the west, about 40, 9 o'clock tonight, 45 degrees or so, Orion will be right there. <clears throat> Think about what you're, when you go out and you, you look at the stars, and uh, think about what you're experiencing at that moment. You've got light energy that originated in that, the fiery depths of that star that makes its way to the surface and is radiated out into space and travels for centuries centuries for in, in the case of the stars you're looking at there in Orion. And you go out and you look up and actual physical light energy that originated in that star is striking the back of your retina. And you're actually in some mysterious way connected to that star by an unbroken line of energy that runs back through space to that star. That, and I don't know about you, that, that's something that, wow, that is really an awesome thought. That is an awesome thought. Um, So, you think of, um, if you were to look at this star right here, that's about 900 light years away. So about the time that Bernard of Clairvaux in the 12th century was writing, Jesus the very thought of me, thought of thee, with sweetness fills my breast, but greater far thy face to see and in thy presence rest. The light that's hitting your eye left the star about the time he was writing that. Or, sisters, if this star here, right, this big one, it's called Beetlejuice. 
About the time that light that's striking your eye left that star, the Lady Julian of Norwich was beseeching God to give her three wounds. The wound of contrition, the wound of compassion, and the wound of longing after God. She said, I ask no conditions, whatever it takes, to give me those wounds, and may I never be healed. It's like, so, you know, that light that you're looking at left the star about that time. Now, while the light that you're experiencing is truly from the star and truly connected with it, um, and this twinkling point of light, you know, it's, that we, uh, you know, perceive in the sky is is suggestive of a luminous reality of some sort, and it kind of orients us in the right direction. I mean, when you when you see the when you're looking at the star, you're facing wherever the star was 900 years ago, or you know. Uh, you know uh, the time it took for the light to travel. But we can scarcely imagine the actual reality that is the source of that little spot of light. Now, if we were like to miraculously somehow where, you know, God just in the spirit or I don't know, whatever God, you know, God, you know, with man it's impossible kind of thing, where all of a sudden you took off, you know, you're going to follow that stream of light back to its source. So that upper left, that Beetlejuice, that kind of, that is a, a red supergiant star that if it sat where the sun sat, it's, it would extend out to beyond the asteroid belt towards Ju the orbit of Jupiter, which would not be a good day for Earth. Um, so, so you're, you know, let's say you're traveling one light year a minute. The light year is a distance. It's uh, almost six trillion miles, the amount of uh, the time it, or the distance light travels in a year. So it'd take you uh, about almost 11 hours at a light year a minute to get to that star. And most of the time you're thinking, you know, it's just a point of light, just a little, little twinkle, twinkle, little star. But in the last couple minutes, um, it would start to become a little more impressive to you. Um, you know, first you might be fascinated by it. And then you might be in awe of it. And then you might be dazzled by it. And then you'd be terrified of it. And then you'd be consumed by it. <laughs> you know, it's like, gone. You know, that, uh, but that's the reality that's behind the little spot of light that we see twinkling in the night sky. Now, let's go back to this, uh, the whole thing of Scripture. Think of the word God. I mean, of course, I mean, assuming that there's you know, a reasonably uh, uh, you know biblical um, sense of what you know that word means, 
whether you believe it or not, but just that you understand what kind of generally people are thinking. The word God, this is like a little point of light, or it's like a little point of meaning on the surface of our consciousness, right? And, you know, if the word is informed by the testimony of Scripture, it does orient our minds in a particular direction, thinking a particular way about the being that lies behind this word. And it connects us in, in some real way with, with that reality. But, you know, that meaning for us is often, um, maybe more often than not, I don't know, it's, uh, it's kind of like the starlight. It's easy to minimize, it's easy to ignore, it's easily forgotten in the midst of the distractions of life. But, but there is a reality behind that word. The word is not the thing. It just kind of points us in a particular direction. You think of Moses when he, you know, in Exodus 33, or, uh, where... Uh, after all the things that Moses had experienced, the burning bush and, you know, up on the mountain, uh, the plagues of Pharaoh up on the mountain, you see, they're pretty, pretty intense experiences of God. You know, but he still prayed, God, Lord, show me your glory. And God basically said, if I did, you would be consumed by it. No man can see my face and live. He said, but what I will do, I'll put you in the rock. You know, how, you know, it kind of kind of blocks him in where he can't see the Lord passes by and so it was less filtered than all the things he'd experienced up to that point but it didn't kill him but still when he came down he radiated to such a degree the glory of God was all over him that, that it terrified the children of Israel and they said please put a, put a veil over your face you know I mean they were in a panic it was just so uh but it's like that that uh, that reality that that lies behind the word and not not just the word god i think the all the things that we read in scripture really all the things in creation everything speaks something of god the creator but let's think in terms of the the scriptures and uh, so so with that you know you're you're holding that image of of jesus weeping the multitudes rejoicing, the Pharisees criticizing, but let's let's think. And when he approached, he saw the city and wept over it. I want to read just a few just a few passages to to add depth to this picture. Again, taken from John, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna re- I'm just gonna read. I'm gonna, you can get the, if you're not familiar with the references, you'd like them. I'll you can get them later. Um, but see, see this picture of the Son of God, Jesus of Nazareth, weeping over Jerusalem at this particular moment. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. 
But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of Himself unless it is something He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does... These things the Son also does in like manner. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative. But the Father abiding in me does his works. And when he approached, he saw the city and wept over it. Why did he weep over it? He only does the things he sees his father doing. His father wept over the city. His father was weeping. I wonder... um, I'll I'll speak in first person. I wonder if I don't fully grasp how intimately bound the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are in the work of the cross. You know, we... uh, we, we get influenced by the kind of the way it gets conveyed, you know, and we have the, you know, the Father sent the Son, and, and, and in, in the, the typical evangelical rendering, you know, and the, and the Son is crucified, and the sins of the world are put upon Him, He becomes sin, the Father can't look at Him, He turns His back on Him, you know, you've, you've probably all heard, um, and, and that that's, you know, there's reasons that people um, conjecture that. I, I don't know. I mean, um, yeah, there's the, the, the cry of desolation. Um, but I, I think that the human experience, I mean, I've, I imagine that there's many people in this room that have, that have felt that desolation at moments. Um, and yet now in retrospect, you realize that the Lord was with you the whole time through it. You just kind of the footprints in the sand sort of thing, you know, you know, that they were, um, that, and I, I think his human experience was he's been forsaken. I, I don't know. I mean, it's like he was seen me as seen the Father. I think, I mean, the God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Um, and But at this point, it's like resist the... Te- this is going to sound a little weird until I explain a little bit. Resist the temptation to think about, to reason about, to speculate about what is written... And, I mean, there's a natural side of that and an appropriate side of that. But I just, as when we come to these passages, 
if you're, if you're anything like me, the temptation is immediately when you read it, you start to, oh, and this leads to this, and this, you know, you think all these, you know, and uh, these thoughts. But the thing I want to suggest to you that my thoughts about the Word of God is not the Word of God. Your thoughts about the Word of God is not the Word of God. I think we stop listening too quickly and start thinking about our own thoughts and thinking about our thoughts about our own thoughts and thinking about other people's thoughts about their thoughts about somebody else's thoughts about, you know, we're all of a sudden, imperceptibly, almost instantaneously, we've left what it actually says, and we're up here thinking all sorts of, you know, spiritual thoughts. And, and, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm just saying that my thoughts about the Word of God will not transform me. It is the Word of God. And I think, you know, so it's easy to say, well, and when he approached the city, he saw the city and wept over it. and said, oh, if you had known what made for your peace. And we start thinking about, you know, well, this probably means like this, and, and you know, well, this probably, that, that theological proposition I heard from this group that I really don't like, and this, you know, we get into these theological debates, right? It's like, just sit with it. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. You don't need to think anything about it other than what it says. God, your heart, God's heart, he who has seen me has seen the Father. He wept over Jerusalem. What, Father, what? is it your son was seeing what was he feeling god let me see that let me feel that um paul you know he says in many ways in first and second timothy but most potently he says but refuse foolish and ignorant speculation knowing that it produces quarrels and i wonder just a lot of our quarreling is somebody makes a speculation i don't agree with it so i counter that with my own speculation <laughs> and we have a fight over it you know it's like don't, you know don't do that there's a there's a place you know to, to uh, contend for the faith i'm not saying that but I, devotionally as we come to this holy week as we come to what's so familiar to us yeah i know that yeah you know read that yeah i know that yeah i know that yeah i know and, and the reality is we know the twinkling star of it we we, we recognize the constellation but we we haven't really entered into the as deeply as we might, as deeply as the Lord would have us, to the reality that lies behind and beyond the narrative. It points us in the right direction, but to say, oh, I know that, is to stop way short of what the Lord would have us to enter in. Um, it... Uh, <coughs> You know, I've been very impacted, you know, over the years by um, uh, Job's, just when, after Job's encounter with the Lord um, and, and his three friends and, and just how orthodox their debate was and how unorthodox really Job was from a human perspective, <laughs> how orthodox his friends were. Um, but Job says, I've heard of you. I've heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see thee. Therefore I retract and I repent in dust and ashes that human words, and we've had our discussions and all our thoughts, but now that I see you, it's like, what was I, th you know, words can't contain you. Um, and, you know, the events that are happening at the, as, as the Son of God enters into Jerusalem. They are, they are things, you know, 
the eternal purposes in Christ Jesus that Paul talks about in Ephesians 3. Eternal purposes are being worked out. I mean, there are things here we can relate the, the, the chronological and historical narrative but that, that the Holy Spirit would take us deeper into, you know, um, what God was doing in Christ. So to kind of in the, to kind of conclude this, um, I want to do a couple more readings because there's one other element that is very much part of the mystery of what is happening at the cross and that mystically spiritually somehow that we don't need to understand figure out explain but every believer was there every believer was there Paul said I have been crucified with Christ I don't know what that means and you don't know what it means either. I mean, in a, in a, we, we understand the words. We see the twinkling starlight. But, you know, the reality that that's pointing us to, that, that we just need to sit with and, and receive. You know, it's like, it's like the beauty of a sunset. Don't try to analyze it. Just receive the beauty into your soul. You know, it does good things for you. You know, or, um, and Paul, Paul said in 2 Corinthians uh, 3, Verse 17, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face, you know, in reference to Moses veiling his face, we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror. Okay, ancient mirrors weren't like our mirrors. It was a little fuzzy, you know, but, but it was real. It was a real reflection. Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord. For God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not despairing, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal body. Brothers and sisters, whatever that means to always carry about in our body the dying of Jesus. That the life of Jesus may be manifested. That that might be our experience uh, in a deeper way this week. And uh, let's pray. Father, we see the starlight and we hear the words, but we ask that you would grant to your people uh, the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened to know what it is that uh, you have done for us in Christ um, and that we'd be changed by that. We ask it in Jesus' name.